Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 320 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Kai Davis. Hello, hello. And Jeremy Green. Hey. And Eric Dietrich. Hey, everybody. And I'm Ruben Lerner, and this week we have a special guest, Liston Witherell. Hey, Liston. Thanks for joining us. Hey there. It's my pleasure. So for those of you listeners who don't know who Liston is, first of all, I feel sorry for you, but, but <laughs> he will now give you a chance to tell you who he is and why we've invited him on the show and why you're about to enjoy the next hour more than usual. Listen, tell us why you're great. Well, I'll tell you about me, but I have no idea why you invited me here. So we, we can determine that <laughs> together maybe through the process of this conversation. So my name... <laughs> My name's Liston Witherell. I'm very excited to be in your ears right now. And I help independent consultants and professional service providers sell their expertise with confidence and move past the referral. Now, what I've found is a lot of people are relying almost exclusively on referrals, which is almost approximating a strategy of hope which, as we know, is not a very good business strategy. And so what I help people do is have more conversations and have better conversations. And part of that is through building a sales process, which sounds like a lot, but I promise you is very, very simple and anybody can do it. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So, so let me start off by, by saying this. So, if I'm just starting off and I have no clients and everything, it seems obvious to me why we want a sales process. And we definitely want to get to that because I'm very curious to hear what you have to say about that. But I'm going to start from sort of the other side, which is I've got a training business going now. I work almost exclusively with referrals and it's going pretty well. Why, why should I care? Why should I build a process? And why should I think that hope is you know, not eternal? <laughs> Well, uh, that's kind of a uh, dire way of looking at life, I guess. Um, I, I didn't want to say hope isn't eternal. What I wanted to say is in order to even out your revenue, right? So as a consulting business, as a service provider, our revenue and especially our client acquisition can come in fits and starts. And one of the ways to have more control over that is to us ourselves proactively have a strategy to improve our lead flow, right? The number of opportunities we have. Reuven, I heard you in a recent episode um, say something like, you always have more leverage when you don't need it. And that's absolutely true, right? So that's one of the things that I want people to think about. So if you have referrals, now I, I'm not here to tell anybody in the abstract what they should or shouldn't do. What I am here to tell you is if you've ever experienced a time when you felt compelled to say yes to something or to add a service or to bring on a client who was rife with red flags, then this is something you would want to address, right? Those are all signs that there's something wrong in not having enough conversations and not having enough, especially quality conversations. So a lot of people think that they have lead problems and sometimes the fact is they're just not selling properly, right? Usually it's sort of both which compound into this sort of ugly consulting business that looks like, hey, I do everything for everybody. And if you breathe and have money that you can put into my bank account, I'd be happy to work with you, right? And so we want to get away from that kind of feeling and the way you sell and the things you do along the way um, absolutely have an impact. Okay. Okay. That's pretty convincing. So now let me go back to what I started with before and then I'll let other people ask questions <laughs> okay. too, which is, 
So let's. So it sounds like anyone, regardless of what stage they're at in consulting, whether they're starting off or experienced, they should be worried about. And I don't mean worried like terrified. I mean like it should be. It should be something they spend time on in terms of developing leads, having conversations. So where do you start? Like I mean, big wide world out there. I kind of know who my clients are. I kind of know who I'd want to talk to. Well, I just give them a you know give them a call and say hi. I'd like to sell you that. That it can't. It can't be that easy, and it can't be that, um, I don't know, crap. Uh, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, no, it, it, it can't be exactly like that. I, I guess I would always say, turn it around, right? How would you feel if someone called up and said, hey, I got something to sell you. You want to listen and spend time with me? I mean, you, the answer is going to be no, almost certainly, right? Um, it always does, though, back to the first point you made, it always starts with who? Who should you be talking to? What is it that's going on with them? Why should they care about anything that you have to say? What's going on in their world? That's really where we want to start because without starting with who, you're almost certainly at a high percentage of the time, you're going to be spending time with the wrong people. And so, you know, I believe that sales should always be 100% of the time a win-win scenario, right? I'm better off and the other person is better off. They're getting a ton from this. That's what we want in order to assure that or at least give us a high probability of that being the case every time we talk to someone. We need to know who's most likely to benefit from working with us. Um, and so, you know, starting there, who do you want to reach out to? And then only then can we answer the question, why should they care? Um, and that's where we want to start. So I, am I allowed to cuss on the freelancer show? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I, that was quick too. I've never been on a podcast with four other people simultaneously. And I was sort of in my mind thinking we should have a panel discussion about the merits of cursing on this show. Um, <laughs> I see some nods. Um, so what I was going to say is no one really gives a fuck about you and they don't give a fuck about what you have to sell. I, I once, um, I'm going to name the company. So I was talking to HubSpot about buying their service and my sales guy, who was a nice enough guy, right? Like there's nothing wrong with him, but he started his sales presentation by telling me that his goal this year is to buy a new apartment in Boston. And I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like, why do I care about that? Like what, what's in this for me? Right? Like, tell me how I can buy a new apartment. That's what I care about. So, uh, you know, you always want to focus on the other person because there's a lot of noise, right? I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, I used to, as a kid, watch football games with my grandfather. And he's a big San Francisco 49ers fan. He lived in Sacramento. And we'd watch the games. And he had this, like, crazy ability. To, as soon as the commercials came on, he'd mute the game, fall asleep for five minutes, and then somehow wake up right when the game came back on and unmute it. And now he's watching again. And that's kind of how we all think about ads and being sold to, right? Until we know it's for us and we trust the other person and it's not completely self-centered and selfish on their part, we're probably not going to pay attention. But the right message to the right person, we pay attention, uh, I'll give you another example. The, recently, I was looking at changing podcast hosting providers, which I don't recommend you guys do. It's a lot of brain damage. But I did it. And while I was in that process, I got a cold email from a platform saying, hey, saw that you have a podcast. We have this new thing. Here's how it works. Click here if you want more details. I clicked on that email because I, it was relevant to me at the time, right? So, you know, on the one hand, we have to try hard to understand who it is we're reaching out to. But on the other hand, you shouldn't have the mindset. No one will ever pay attention or answer because they will if you're reaching out to the right person and it's relevant. I love the concept from uh, a, I agree with everything you're saying. B, I love the concept from Perry Marshall, the racking the shotgun concepts yes. uh -huh. where you have, let's say, 100 leads and you want to perform some action, offer them a freebie, whatever it is to get the people who are most interested, most qualified, most in pain, have that want or that need that you could solve to raise their hands. And so otherwise, you're emailing 100 people. Maybe somebody will respond. But if you say, hey, if you're in pain right now, if you're experiencing these problems, 
click here, hit reply. If you're looking for information on this, click here, hit reply. You're able to segment out those people who are the valuable leads. Great, great story. I absolutely love that approach. And often there are things that are happening that we can observe that may make it more likely to be the right time, right? So this is really highly dependent on what your business is. But like I'm working with a client right now who sells um, customer um, surveys and also employee surveys. Well, if a company gets a new CEO or a new head of HR in the last three months, it may be a better time to reach out to them, right? Mm -hmm. Because all that person's going to go, oh, I got something to prove. I want to set a baseline. I want to show that I'm going to come in with new ideas, right? All of these things. So, you know, depending on what it is that you're doing, there are different triggers, but all of this, all, all of it comes back to who, right? And it comes back to you taking responsibility for saying, I really need to understand who I'm selling to and what's going on with them. I believe uh, you know, I don't say this in my marketing, um, publicly, I guess I am now this is public, right? Um, I don't say it very often, but I do think sales is about empathy. It's about human skills. Mm -hmm. How can I connect with someone else and understand them? And if it's, if right now your thing is thinking, how can I sell my shit? It's going to be an awful experience for you and for them. Strongly agreed. There's a wonderful, wonderful video, uh, by, Oh, Jay Abraham, the uh, advanced strategy of preeminence, where he advocates being that ally for your client, advocating for them, advocating yeah. for their best interest. I think that aligns with a lot of what you're saying here. You want to understand that need. You want to understand what's motivating them. To do that, you need to understand who you're marketing to, and then you're able to have more intense, more powerful conversations with them that actually get to the point. That's exactly right. And like so far, we've only talked about how to start the conversation, not actually how to have the conversation. But the let me go back to Reuven's original question, because I feel like I haven't I've answered it in little puzzle pieces along the way and maybe breadcrumbs. The question was, is it as easy as just reaching out to people? So question number one is, who should I be reaching out to? Um, Question number two is, what should I say to them? And then, of course, it's like, well, how do I actually reach out? And what I would say is having a highly personalized outreach style where you're spending a lot of time on each person rather than saying, how can I reach out to a thousand people this month with the hopes of 0.1% conversion rate? Like that's not going to go very well, but if it's very personalized and when the person opens your email, your letter, however you decide to send it. And it's undeniable, wow, this person took time and understands me and my business. And this, what they're talking about matters, even if now is not the right time, you're going to get their attention in that moment. And so I, you know, that's what I would advocate to people listening to this podcast. If you're out there building a sales team, like you're going to have a slightly different, well, not slightly, a quite a different approach because you're going to have huge demands on volume and production. But for most consultants, the business model is somewhere between one and 10 clients in a calendar year. And so if you can reach out to just one or two people every week, that's 52 to 104 conversations you otherwise didn't have the opportunity to have. And if you let's say you have five clients, two more clients this year represents 40% more revenue for you potentially. It's not a big deal, right? Like you don't, we don't need to reach out to this huge number of people, but we do need to reach out to the right people and make it quality so that we can actually talk to them. So uh, one of the things I see in looking at your website is, and this strikes close to home for me, is you, you help firms that are having sales conversations that are made up on the fly. Um, and I feel somewhat guilty of that myself. Uh-huh. So what is the alternative there? Are we talking about that you have kind of a script or like what do you have in mind um, for, I guess, avoiding that sort of existential um, bad feeling of I'm really winging this? Yeah. So um, every communication in your sales process should have a goal and a purpose. Um, so the way I would start and, and it really depends on how expensive your thing is and how much trust you have built up with the client. So if you're selling a cheap thing, you can do a one call close and the whole process I'm going to recommend you can do in an hour or less, right? But if you're selling anything, I'd say over five figures, you're probably going to need at least 
three one-to-one meetings in order to sell that generally. These are all just sort of uh, rules of thumb, in my opinion. But what I would say is first call is the 50-50 call. Let me get to know you. You want to know a little bit about me. We'll sort of have a discussion and see high level. Is there any reason for us to keep talking? We're going to mutually decide at the end of that call. Should we keep talking? Do I, I, and there's a likability factor too, right? Do I even like you? Do you like me? <laughs> the second call, this is where most sales are won and lost. Discovery, right? So I need to know three things. What sort of pains are you having right now? What are your goals in order to solve those pains? And what value would solving those goals uh, or, or actually achieving those goals bring to you and your business? Without that information, I don't even know if I can help you, right? So in you're, you're asking, do I have a script? I don't think, I think the problem with scripts is the whole time you'll be thinking about like, when's the right time for me to say this next line? And mm-hmm. that's not what we want to do. Right. But we do want to transition from what's your problem? What's the goal? What's the value? Let me go back to my customer survey um, or um, employee survey example. So if I'm selling employee surveys, typically the problem is something like our employee turnover is too high. Right. Which is just a symptom of um, a much greater cause, which is usually something about corruption of leadership or culture or something like that. But they'll say employee turnover is too high. Okay, great. Tell me more about that. Right. So we're going to dig in. What's the real pain around that? What does that do to your business? And then maybe it's we, you know, it ate into our profit margin. We're spending too much time hiring on and on and on. Those are all pains that would be associated with it. Okay, great. Tell me how life would be different if your employee turnover wasn't so high, right? Right. So now they're going to tell me their goals, which are exactly the opposite of the pain, right? So if employee turnover is too high, we want employee turnover to be lower. Great. What would that do for you? On and on and on, right? And so the key here, as you may notice, Eric, is follow-up questions. The sort of, so what? What does that matter? Why not just keep going status quo? Why now? Like, why... Why is it so bad now that you're suddenly doing something about it? This didn't just like creep up on you yesterday. Um, And then the value. So if our pain is employee turnover is too high, our goal is reduce employee turnover. What's the value? Well, maybe we recapture 15% of our profit margin, right? Um, If it's a service-based business, basically your turnover is a direct hit to your profit. Um, And so that it would be something like that. So that's what we're looking for. So I don't believe in scripting. I do think there are basic questions that you should always be asking. My favorite one to start your discovery call is, so what's going on? (laughs) Tell me about your business. Totally open-ended, right? (laughs) And then whatever they say, they're going to give you little hints of like a cracked door where they're cracking the door to this big, huge thing that you should be talking about, but they don't take the time to say, and you need to know to walk through that door and say, Hey, you mentioned this thing. Uh, Ira Glass asked this question on this American life. He always goes, what do you make of that? Which I love, right? Because it's just like, can you please be the interpreter for me? I don't understand it. You must. What do you make of that? Tell me what you think. And then you're going to get all their baggage coming out. Right. And that's what we want to (laughs) know. So goal oriented with, with each call, there's something that we want to come to something we want to accomplish here. There's no script to get there necessarily, but, uh, you can situationally adjust if you kind of, that's interesting. Cause I think just historically, like for me, the goal is like, well, I want to close or, um, potentially disqualify if it's not going to be a good fit, but I haven't thought of like interim kind of more specific goals with multiple calls. That's really interesting. Yeah. So that, so you know, 50-50 call, the first one is sort of like pre-qualification. Like, should we be spending time together? Um, so 50-50, meaning you're talking half the time, they're talking half the time, right? Mm-hmm. But in the discovery call, it's more like 80-20. You can't learn the information you need to learn while you're talking. So shut up. That's not directed <laughs> at you. That's like directed <laughs> in the abstract. Um Right. Because one one thing that everybody does that is a big mistake is in order for us to increase likability, a lot of us think, you know, we all want to be liked. 
we need to talk and relate an example to what you just said. And so what they're doing in sales conversations is the client says, yeah, you know, we had this horrible thing and this is what happened and oh my God, it's so painful. And then a lot of people will be, will say like one time I helped a client with blah, blah, blah. Now it's all about me. Right. But what we want to do is dig into it. So 80% listening, 20% talking. And then if at the end of that discovery call, you kind of repeat and validate and you say, Hey, look, this looks like a great fit. I'm sure I can help you. Here are some ways that I might do that. Would you like to learn more about that? Usually they'll say yes. If they're engaged in that conversation, that's when you would get into your offer. And only after you make your offer, would you write a proposal? Hmm. I was just going to say, could you kind of dig into that a little bit more about the difference in making an offer and submitting a proposal and kind of what you mean by those differences there? So, um, at the, at the top of this call, before we hit record, Kai asked me, what are some habits that freelancers and consultants have that I absolutely abhor? Um, and so this is one of them, right? And this is one of the most common mistakes is people get on the phone, they talk to a potential client and the client goes, yeah, 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 I get it. Uh, just send me a proposal, right? And then you go away and you spend four hours writing a proposal and you send it and then you never hear anything back from them right? So what I would contend is a much better process. So far, like let's, let's say you do it my way. You've had a 30 minute call up front. You've had a one hour discovery call. Um, and then if they say yes to, Hey, I can tell you more about how this works. You have a one hour, um, offer call, right? And I'll, I'll tell you what's, what the content of that is in a second. That's two and a half hours versus your four hour proposal, right? So like it's actually less time to do it this way, it's much more systematic and requires a little bit more upfront thought and pacing. So the difference between an offer and a proposal, and the reason I say don't just send a proposal in the email, is you should be there to present it. So what's going to happen, first of all, in your offer call, you're going to recap everything you learned. Here's the pain that you have. Here are the goals that you have. Here's the value that it would bring if you solve those goals. Do, do you agree? Did I get it right? Yes. Okay. Now my offer is contextualized to where you are in your business and why, why we're even talking in the first place. Okay. So when I make my offer, I'm telling you how I can help you specifically how it connects back to the goals that you want to achieve. And that's tied to every service that I can deliver. Right. Um, and so I'm walking you through it. I'm giving you the options on the phone and we're having now a discussion whereby if I show you the price or the options and something's not sitting right with you, I've, we have a chance now to figure out what's the right solution for you live. One of the problems with email is it's asynchronous and it feels a step much closer to anonymous right? People will say things over email that they won't say to you live. But while you're on the phone with someone live, you get the chance to, to understand like, oh, I just presented my prices and they've gone completely dead silent on me, right? <laughs> so maybe you want to lean into that a little bit, let the silence hang and see what they say. But now I have a chance to, to collaborate with them. Okay, let's design a solution that's going to work for you, right? What is it about option B that you like or don't like? right? Or of options A, B, and C, which one are you leaning towards? Why is that? Now we can have a conversation about what should be in the proposal, right? So I get the chance to control the conversation. That's one big reason I I have these offer calls. I also get the chance to collaborate with the client. What's a better solution if I didn't nail it the first time? Because you won't always. Um, and they're going to be much more inclined to have a back and forth with you on that call. Now I'm in a position at the end of it to even ask, so what do you think? Well, this looks really good. Okay. So if I sent you a contract to sign right now, you'd sign it and pay me. (laughs) Sometimes yes. Sometimes no. If not, if no. Okay. Let's talk about your objections. Right now I have a chance to answer those. If you send it over email, you may never, ever, ever have that chance. Here's the other thing. I used to um, use proposal tracking software, the kind where, you know, it helps you like templatize your proposals, but you also get analytics. Like, how did people spend time in here? And what happens all the time 
is they open it. It could be a hundred pages and they go right to the price and they spend <laughs> a minute on that page and then they close it. Right. So if I'm having this offer call, I get the chance to control the conversation and the pacing and un unfurling of, of the information. And that's why I'm starting with problem, connecting it to the solution you're after, and then connecting my service to that solution. I really, really yeah. like that approach. You've you honestly can use convinced it, Kai. Hmm? You can use it. It's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, like I, I've always fallen on the other side of the camp here where I'm an, I've been an advocate of sending the proposal separate from a call to give the client a chance to review it. But you've totally. honestly convinced me like there is so much value in having that conversation and honestly just opening up that communication with a prospect or a prospective client that it's foolish to not do it. One one sort of not hesitation but sort of subnote I'd give there is for people who feel shyness or social anxiety around having those calls, what would you recommend in that scenario? Is that a practice the skill and build it? Is it a use this fallback method? Well, it's always, I mean, practice is always part of getting better at anything, right? So the, mm -hmm. definitely there's that. Um, but what I would say is I think it really starts with mindset. Like, mm -hmm. what are you here to do? And for me, the thing that motivates me every day is I'm on a mission to help 10 million people change the way they think about sales and understand that it's an act of empathy and service, mm -hmm. right? So whenever I show up and sell something, I'm coming from that place. I'm like, look, if you don't pay me a dime, it's okay. I'm here to help you. And if the right thing isn't to pay me, that's okay. I don't mind, right? So back to what Ruben said, though, <laughs> in the past episode, having options is the great equalizer of like taking your shyness away a little bit because you're like, hey, I don't care what happens, right? That, that changes a lot. The other thing I wanted to mention is you I don't think you can completely get away from a proposal when you're talking about larger contracts. And especially like Reuven, I know you work with large companies. And so often they're going to have people on their team who they need to show the proposal to and get their buy-in and kind of sell on your behalf. So that still needs to be part of it. But you want first to help your influencer be in a position to best sell whatever's in that proposal. And that's what the offer call will do for you. I like that. That really, really frames it well for me because it's an act of, yeah, helping that internal advocate to the company understand fully and connect problem, solution, service. And now they go on to convince their CEO of essentially right. the same thing. Right. Like, here's why we need it. They need to be mm -hmm. able to answer that question. Yeah. And it's so different. Like, okay, we've had two and a half hours on the phone with Liston versus 30 minutes and he sent us a proposal. The two yeah. and a half hours on the phone, it's going to give them so much more ammo for the boss objecting, saying it's a different right. timeline. No, no, no. We need this now. This is why. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this process, like I said, can be condensed. So like Kai, you and I both have products that are like, you know, a thousand or a couple thousand dollars. You're not going to want to go through two and a half hours to sell a product like that. You're going to have to rely on email and website and other things to, to do part of it. But... I think for for most most people listening to this, I'm guessing are selling five figures and above. I would recommend a process like this one. You know, not only does it give you the information you need, but it also the multiple touches helps you build trust and credibility with the person. Right? There's just the act of repetition is so powerful. Where, you know, what do we do? We have plans with our friends, right? People we like and trust are people we make plans with. And so that's part of what the sales process is doing also. So speaking of friends, or I guess in the negative sense, um, uh, enemies. not friends, enemies, if you will, <laughs> how do you recommend surfacing red flags um, for disqualification during the sales conversation? Oh, boy. Um, well, I think the first thing you need to know is what are your boundaries um, before you have these calls? So like for me... Um, like I recently had a client who I won't name, but they, he, he had some hangups about marketing himself and selling himself where it was like a bad word. And I challenged him on it early, like before he bought anything from me. And I was like, Hey man, I notice like, it seems like you don't give yourself permission to be available in terms of marketing and selling your service, you expect people to just like 
vomit money out of their pocket and just pay you without you having to do the work of helping them understand who you are and why they should do that. And he's like, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, right? Like, sort of like, yeah, you caught me kind of feeling. In retrospect, I know now I would never take a client like that again, right? I would say, look, this, I, I'm not a therapist, right? But you're clearly not giving yourself permission to move forward in your business. And here's, here's how I perceive that. So maybe there's someone else better suited to help you, but it's not me. So I think sort of understanding what those boundaries are early. Um, I think as a consultant, all of us have shared this frustration at some point. You have a client who thinks they know better than you do. Um, and you know, here they are hiring an expert. I can't figure this out. Can you help me? But then on the back end, what they really just want is some like hands-on implementation. And so the way I would deal with red flags, especially in terms of like a bad fit client, is to just call them out, right? Mm. Like, let, hey, we're about to get married. Uh, before we get married and sign a prenup, I want to know what am I getting into? Um, so I would just call them out on that, right? So if it's, if it's sort of the know-it-all can't let go kind of client, um, I would say, hey, you know, it seems like maybe what you're looking for is someone just to help you with implementation because it seems like you're really strong-willed on what the strategy should be. Um, what do you make of that? <laughs> and, you know, if they hesitate, if they're like, oh, God, you know, my, this is I, I always say, my wife always tells me that I, I, I'm a steamroller, Right. Um, if they sort of lean into it and go, yeah, I know I'm that way. Like I do want your help. Um, then, you know, maybe it's something you can overcome. However, if they're like, what are you talking about? Or no, 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 it's not like that. To me, those are always red flags. Cause it's like, for me, if I can't have an open and honest conversation early on, it's only going to get so much worse. Hmm. So that's where I would walk away. Um, I think there are standard things like, you know, um, budget. I, I, actually, let me ask you, let me turn it around on you, Eric. What are some red flags that may come up for you that you wish you could identify earlier in the process? Well, I've been sort of systemizing things. So like um, the reason I asked the question is in the business that I'm running, um, I've learned, you know, I've kind of got battle scars. So I see something early on that I don't identify as a red flag. Then we engage. It doesn't maybe go as well as it could. I learn from that, move on. Um, <clears throat> so I, uh, in general, I guess I was interested to see if I could abstract this. So like I run a, um, a content agency and we do uh, blog posts by and large for uh, tech companies that are marketing to software developers. And so like um, an example of a red flag that I've learned from the hard way is um, if you're less KPI focused and, um, you know, say it's a, a founder that's very focused on tone or brand, sometimes they'll call it, where what it really boils down to is that they're, uh, I guess, nervous about how they're going to seem and the blog is a reflection of them. And so I've learned the hard way that that tends to be a more uh, high maintenance client versus somebody who says, don't really care, uh, put whatever posts on my site, drive organic traffic and conversions. So I've sort of figured that out the hard way via interactions over the course of time. So I was just interested in strategies, I guess, for maybe in general things to look for. But I guess it also sort of almost has to be very specific to your practice or what you're doing. Well, um, so again, like I, I would look for what are indicators that this person may be extremely protective over the brand. So I would think people who come from a branding background would be more likely to feel that way. I would also think people who have like this really huge tome that are like brand guidelines um, may also be that way. So, you know, I would ask them, hey, do you have brand guidelines? Can we take a look at those on this call? And if it's like 50 pages, you may be like, holy shit, this is one of those, <laughs> right? Like there, someone's going to be going over all my work with a red pen and it's just going to be a disaster. And, and then you can have a conversation about it, too, because maybe you're wrong about it. But yeah. you can say to them, hey, this looks like really in-depth, which is awesome. Um, however, here's one of the challenges we've seen in our process. 
um, with people who are really protective of their brands. Like I don't work there. Right. So um, you're going to know things that I don't. And our mission is to drive traffic to your site. And it may not be always it may be a 90 percent fit, not 100 percent fit of how you see your brand. How do you feel about that? Hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And so I'm kind of generalizing this to think of there's like a head on issue that I could tackle. I've encountered X. Um, so in a uh, sales conversation, you could ask about that. But I could also generalize to some, I guess, parallel concerns, like you had mentioned the brand guidelines and say, let's have an, uh, a frank conversation about this. So that's interesting. I could start to brainstorm what are indicators of these things uh, potentially, and let's steer the conversation there. Well, let's take the inverse of it, right? The way I started the, the whole session today was let's figure out who our ideal client is. Now mm -hmm. for you, Eric, the, your ideal client or your perfect client is someone who is KPI driven, they just want to see traffic, um, and they're not as protective over brand. Not that brand is no consideration, but like right. as long as it's close enough, we're good, right? So mm -hmm. that's your perfect client. So all you're looking for, the more we can define who your perfect client is, we want to vet out how closely does this person match it. So we could look at the negative is this person too protective of their brand? But we can also look at the positive. I want to make sure they're KPI driven, right? right? So one easy way to get to it is the 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 um, how will you observe success question, which is what I always ask. How will you know if this worked? And they'll say, well, we have more traffic and whatever, right? If, if it's a very KPI driven answer, traffic, leads, conversions, that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. Great. If they're like, well, we drive more awareness to the marketplace and we elevate our brand esteem, then you may be like, eh, that's not what we do. That's um, It's good to hear because I've evolved that sort of thing over the course of time where the common answer, the good thing is I want more traffic. You know, I want these results. Usually if it might not be a fit, it's something along the lines of we want to establish ourselves as an authority. Mm -hmm. And that sounds pretty innocuous, but I've learned over the course of time that's sort of undirected. I just want content that sort of, I think, makes me look good. But those tend to really kind of go back and forth a lot over each little thing. Well, uh, and, and you may have to help educate them. Okay, so now we're getting back into this service, right? This is service-oriented selling is. Mm -hmm. So you may have to educate them and ask them, okay, authority, how will you know when you have that? What does that look like, right? Is is there a time where like you're going to hit a threshold and say, oh, now I have authority? Like, how will you know when that moment comes? We need to, and so your your job is to help them figure that out. And maybe you're still going to be like, I'm not the guy. Sorry, I don't do the authority stuff. Um, but that may illuminate for them that they want this esoteric, abstract thing, and they'll never know when they get it. Right. So what you want to do is help them understand how do we even think about this problem? Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Listen, what you talked a lot a bit, a, a lot about um, like meeting, having these initial calls and talking and sort of negotiating out um, and even doing proposals and offers. How does uh, productized consulting fit into this? How does what? Productized consulting, like where you oh, all have a like, like, like. I mean, if, I am thinking of myself because, like, you know, everyone always thinks of themselves. But if you basically have an offer that doesn't change much from one company to another, right? Like, yeah. I'm just sort of telling the same thing. Um, I, I feel then, obviously, like I want to know what my clients' needs are, and quite frankly, I often have a call with a new potential client where they'll tell me all about what they need, need where they need to do the training, and the bottom line is, oh this course is what you need. <laughs> and then like, I don't really need to change it very much. I feel like it's not quite the same conversation as what you've been describing. Um, why do you think it's different? I, I feel like it's different because like there's a project, like a software project uh, or even a strategy project of some sort, we've got to figure out sort of what my role is, what the goals are and so forth. Mm -hmm. And with the training, Typically, I found they know, like, they know they have this need. And again, mm -hmm. this might be the result of me 
getting calls through referrals rather than me initiating them. But they basically say, we have this need, thus we want you to fill it, can you do that? And the answer is basically, yes, right? Like we have a half hour, hour long conversation, sometimes with an ungodly number of team managers, each of whom describes what they need, and the bottom line is, oh yeah, this course is what you need, it'll fit. And, and in the end, they're, like, they're happy, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just feel like the conversation is much more, they need to tell me these lots of uh, these things, but there's not a lot going to change in the actual delivery or what the product is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm struggling to see what's so different about that other than you're not putting together a custom solution. You still need to figure out why they're coming to you, what they want, will this training actually help them? Um, but the solution, what you're saying is it's productized. The solution doesn't change. It's like if Eric says, hey, we do one blog post every week and it costs X, right? Or we could do two blog posts every week and it costs Y. Um, you know, that that's fine. The question is, are blog posts the right thing for this? Um, so th- that's all I would say, Reuven, is, you know, maybe given what you're telling me, the process may be a lot shorter. The other thing is if we probably don't have time to get into the nitty gritty of like the difference between inbound and outbound. But because you're getting a referral, you have the social capital that the other, the referrer gave you, right? So they already trust you. So you're not going to have to spend a bunch of time building trust and credibility because they're like, oh, Ruben's the guy who trained for this company and these other companies. And so-and-so has hired him eight times. So I know Ruben's not going to screw me. So you're already past that whole trust building phase. You've got it. You've got that part nailed. So you don't have to spend as much time with them, right? Um, Maybe they've even gone to your website and picked from your menu because I've been to your website. They pick from your menu, oh, I want this training on Ruben's menu, and they come to you and tell you that. Well, that the nature of that conversation is much more transactional, right? Okay, okay. So Right, and, 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 and quite frankly, like the very few times that I've done any sort of outbound marketing, um, it has not resembled at all what you've been describing, and quite frankly, was a colossal failure. So, uh, <laughs> so and, and it could very well be because they were like, who is this guy calling me, and... And your description at the beginning of the show, well, uh, like, I mean, just a few days ago, someone contacted me and he would like, I was advertising a new course on uh, Facebook ads. And this right, guy writes to me and he says, hi, I'd love to talk to you about this. And then when we set up a time to talk, he says, by the way, I hope it's okay. I'm not really interested in your course. I'm interested in telling you how to do better marketing. I'm like, so I could, I could only write. So I've experienced now in both directions that, right, you need to establish the trust before you can actually have any sort of deeper conversation. Okay. And it's like one, it's like peeling the layers back, right? Like one little small step at a time. We want to get closer, feel more trust, get a little bit deeper on their problems. But if, you know, this, essentially the buyer is going to go through a buying process. And what you're describing, describing, Reuben, is the buyer's already decided I have a problem. They've already decided there's a solution that exists. They've already decided I know what the solution is. And they've decided I'm pretty sure Ruben's the one I'm going to hire to do this. Those four things are huge freaking things that most of us need to combat early in the... And we're trying to help them go go over each hurdle, right? Mm-hmm. So the c- scenario that you're describing, I think this is a valuable example because everybody should sort of decide what is a typical client look like and the you said your outreach was a colossal failure i would argue i'm sure that it wasn't but you weren't really prepared for how much additional work and how many follow-ups it would take in order to have a new conversation yes and you just put into context all the things that i've never really thought about or dealt with in reaching out to a new client because like i just don't have a lot of experience doing it but if i were to as you suggest you do it once a week right like Within a month or two, I have a much better sense of what I'm supposed to say, how to do it, and then, you know, building that trust. I think, Reuven, I could write you an email template that would get you some conversations because of, simply because of your client roster. That would be convincing because if there's anything that Fortune 100 companies feel, it's horrible FOMO. They're like, oh, so-and-so? <laughs> is being trained by Reuven, like, 
who is this guy? We need to know who this guy is, right? We can't be losing <laughs> out. So I, I, I actually think if you wanted more business, I could help you get it. Okay, we might have something to talk about after the show. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, guys, you can talk too. You can give him business as well. <laughs> I'm curious, Liston, your thoughts on paid discovery sessions. So you, you advocate for this discovery-focused oh, call. I'm, am I asking a, a bad question here? <laughs> I, I, you're just going to see me like start to get really excitable uh, during this conversation. So, um, yes, yeah. please. I, I love this t conversation. Yeah. Uh, how do you see paid discovery sessions fitting in? Uh, uh, let's start there as a jumping point. Okay. So it's funny because I, I had a group coaching call this morning and I, I sort of gave this speech. So this is the second day, second time today I'm giving this speech. Mm -hmm. Um, I think paid discovery can be really valuable if there's a lot of risk and a big price tag associated with what the client needs, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, if you're, if what you're charging is say like a minimum of say 20,000, mm -hmm. um, definitely a minimum of definitely at 50,000, you're going to want to put some other step in there. Mm -hmm. Um, because in order to get to uh, a fair and valid price, at the $50,000 range, there's a ton of moving parts, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you're charging $10,000 an hour, you're really gonna have to do some project planning to figure out what's gonna go into this. Um, and so, you know, what the paid discovery will do is help you and your client reduce risk. So one thing that's unique to selling services or consulting that's not part of products as much is the client is bearing a disproportionate amount of risk. So they're taking on an asymmetric risk, right? You know you can do a good job. You know why it's worked in the past. You know that they're a good fit. They don't know who the hell you are in many cases, right? And so I think what this paid discovery will do is help them, again, back to trust. Start to build trust with you, really understand, oh, Kai knows his shit, right? Jeremy knows his shit. I'm totally willing to take a flyer and now pay them to go on to the full project. Here's what I also think. No one is sit sitting around thinking, you know what would be great? If I could just do 10% of what I need, that would be awesome, I'd pay for that. <laughs> like no one's thinking that, right? And so uh, one of the examples I used today was um, uh, neonroots.com, the development firm. Um, they, they have a separate website um, for their road mapping session, which I also hate that because it's like no one wants a map. They just want to get to where they're going. Um, that's like, that's ultimately not what they want. Um, but I, I think if you're going to sell some sort of paid discovery, it has to be, you're, you've now introduced a new product to mm -hmm. your service line, right? Mm -hmm. So like, what's in it for them? Why, why should they buy that? You're thinking, oh, I don't want to put a bunch of time and energy into scoping this thing where they could just ghost me later. But how does that benefit them? You're going to have to be able to give them what is the value proposition of this thing rather than just, you know, the, the way most people talk about road mapping or paid discovery is like, you want to buy this cookie. I'm just going to break off a little corner of the cookie and you can pay for that and try it out. What do you think? Mm. It's like... <laughs> Give me the fucking cookie, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll buy yeah. a bigger cookie later, but I just want the cookie. When, so, when, yeah, ahead. I love the direction you took it when really road mapping exists or could exist as here's your free sample of the cookie to see if you actually like oatmeal cookies right. or not. Yes. Oh, I hate them. Okay, great. This is not the direction to head in. You know, I also think for people charging definitely less than 10000 I think road mapping is a really weird fit. So if I'm going to you and your, your initial project is five grand and you're like, Hey, you know, the next step is a $500 paid discovery session. To me, it's like, that should just be a cost of doing business. Um, it, I don't know. For me, it just feels weird. Like someone wants to, to spend one more hour with me. They want to spend they want me to spend $500 to see that I'm serious. Like it's costing me an hour of my time. So it's not that it's free for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I personally don't like that. I, mm -hmm. I think that feels sort of shitty and self-serving for the client. That's my opinion. I know there are definitely valid arguments on the other side of it. Um, but 
anytime you're looking at much bigger projects, I think it's a great way. And it's just sort of a phase of the project, right? So it's not really paid discovery. It's like, let's think through everything that we need to do in order for this to be successful. And you'll have a clear sense of what resources you need to bring to bear. I'll figure out what the timing is and all of these questions that we all want answers to. You shouldn't be doing that for free, but maybe that's a five or $10,000 project before your dollars $200,000 project. Mm -hmm. So that's my thought on it. I dig it. Good thoughts. And I completely agree with, uh, uh, you pointed out how roadmapping can reduce risk. And there's so many more benefits that people, I think, need to share with prospects in terms of the value uh, uh, of roadmapping. Reduces risks, gives clarity on timeline, gives clarity on scope. But I'll digress. Yeah, yeah, no, I think, um, uh, again, you know, I, I talked about the value proposition, right? So if you're going to sell, and please don't call it a roadmap, and please don't call it paid discovery, it, we, we use those terms, um, obviously, so you know what we're talking about, but please don't call it that, because no one wants to buy that. Um, but if it's like, you know, your X strategy, right? So for me, it's I'll build your sales playbook. And if you buy the sales playbook from me, then I know you may want my training afterwards and you may want uh, implementation help and you may want all these other things that would be descendant from what are you going to do with this playbook now, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't call it a roadmap, but, you know, in many ways, that's sort of the entry project for my larger clients. Um, so, yeah, I, I think just selling that as something <laughs> unto itself is the most effective way to do this. Excellent. Listen, you have delivered a semi-truck full of value in this call. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. All right, folks. I think it's probably uh, time for us to move on to picks. Uh, Kai, what's the offer us this week? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. You're putting me on the spot. So we'll include the link in show notes. I've put together a 30-day meditation challenge. I think I mentioned this on the last call as well, but I've set it up to be evergreen uh, using the app Calm calm.com. So if any of the listeners are saying, hey, you know what? It's the new year. I've always wanted to develop a meditation habit. There'll be a link in the show notes to take you to my evergreen course that'll help encourage you and move you forward in building a meditation habit. Is this completely off the wall from freelancing? Yes. Is it a valuable thing that you should develop to help feel more confident, feel less anxiety, feel less stress? Also, yes. So check out the link in the show notes and practice meditation. Maybe you'll enjoy it. I, I, I've heard that there's, I guess you said Calm, and there's another one, like Head something or other. Headspace. And there's apparently, like, Headspace, there's apparently some, like, epic, nasty battle between these two companies that you would never expect <laughs> from meditation people. Like, I think they need to meditate more to, to be a little less nasty toward each other. But I just heard about this. I actually want to track it down and look at it because it, it, it sounds really great. Um, Jeremy, what you got in terms of things? Uh, so my pick is going to be kind of related to Kai's and it's not an actual product. It's just taking time off. Uh, mm. I spent the last two weeks doing just absolutely as little as possible in the way of work. And it was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> it was really so good to just kind of unplug and not be grinding and worrying about any of that stuff. Uh, so I recommend people do that if they don't already. One of the best things I did in 2018 for my business was intentionally scheduling Fridays off and just saying like, no, it's no longer client time mm. and just buying back that time and slowly saying, okay, now I've given myself a three day weekend for more rest, for more time off. Great suggestion, Jeremy. Eric, what you got? Um, well, over the, or for, for Christmas, my wife gave me this uh, Garmin Vivo Active Music um, activity tracker. And so far, both the app and the tracker have been great. Um, I had a Fitbit before that would tell me about steps, but this tells me about heart rate and sleep and, and all sorts of like interesting data that, you know, that data lover in me is going nuts over. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, and then I'll do one more since I talked about my agency hit subscribe. Um, I will throw in a link to the apply to be an author. If you're out there and listening to this, a techie that wants to get paid to write technical how to type blog posts. Um, you know, feel free to apply. Uh, we are always looking for people. Very good. Um, so I have two self-serving picks for this week. Um, I've got a course that I just came out with 
called Intro Python Fundamentals, which, strangely enough, is the start of my Intro Python course. Uh, basically, it's typically a four-day course. This is about a day's worth of videos and exercises and everything. So if you've ever wanted to learn the basics of Python, the data structures, or if you want to actually understand what you're doing, even if you've been using it for a little while, that would be good. And if you are new to Python, then probably just after this episode comes out, I'm going to be starting up a new cohort of weekly Python exercise, which I'm calling, for lack of a better term, newbie edition. And this is basically for people who are new to Python and want to practice it. And um, I've had a few hundred people go through weekly Python exercise in a few cohorts before. And uh, so this is the first one I'm doing for people who are at a beginner level and uh, should, be, should be lots of fun. So you can learn about both of them. I'll put them in the show notes. And weekly Python exercise is always at weeklypythonexercise.com. Um, all right, listen, tell us some pics and where we can find out about you and more stuff about you. <laughs> okay, all right, I'll try to do it all. So first of all, I wanted to second Eric's pick on his Garmin watch. I have a uh, Phoenix 3 HR. I fucking love this thing. And I'm training for a marathon right now. So um, I am drowning in data every time I go out and run, which will be later today. Um, so my picks. So first is one that Kai's familiar with because our mutual friend can't stop talking about it. And it's Notion. It is a wiki project management kind of tool and I've migrated everything in my business, all documentation, all tasks, all project management into this one central place and it is amazing. The URL is notion.so. Um, I, maybe I should uh, get, create an affiliate link so that I can get credit if anybody goes and signs <laughs> up. But that's not why I'm saying it. I, it genuinely is really, really awesome. And I have, you know, three or four other people in there at various times doing different things. And it's incredible. Um, okay. So the other thing that I want to, there are two picks I have for myself, the totally self-serving ones. Um, one is if you go to learn.liston.io, um, just how it sounds, and my name is L-I-S-T-O-N, so learn.liston.io, I have two free courses there. One is 10x Outreach um, in order to help you start more conversations. Uh, the other one is called Sales in 30, which Kai was kind enough to mention in his recent um, best, what, what was it, Kai? Oh, let me, I think it was the ultimate resources for freelancers and consultants in 2019, best of the universe edition. Boom. <laughs> so I, this is my first wow. best of the universe award. Thank you, Kai, for that. I didn't pay for it. Um, and not so yet. that's a, <laughs> yeah, right, not yet. Um, so that's a free video course. It's available to you now. So learn.liston.io. Um, and I also have uh, a podcast, liston.io slash podcast. If you like this podcasting format, which you must since you're listening right now, you, you can go listen to my podcast. The paid thing that I want to mention to everybody is Consulting Sales Bootcamp. So um, I have a uh, essentially an online learning program that's a combination of videos and office hours and a private Slack. There's a ton of support, and it's a 12-week challenge. I talked at the top of the show about people relying so much on referrals and not having a sales process and this will solve both of those problems for you because I think they're very closely related and the 12-week challenges by the end of it you will have reached out to 20 of your perfect client prospects uh, and so you know I think in 12 weeks that's a pretty big accomplishment for a lot of us um, this is gonna be um, something that you know builds your sales skills for the rest of your life not just over 12 weeks so consulting sales bootcamp uh, com is where you can learn more about that. Excellent resources. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. Well, listen, this has been amazingly informative and useful, not surprisingly. So thank you so much for joining us. And um, thanks to everyone else on the panel. And thanks to you out there in podcast land for listening. If, by the way, listeners, you have suggestions for other guests, topics, anything, please feel free to reach out to us. We would be delighted to address them in future issues. Uh, so that's it, and we will see you next week. 
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.